The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. So uh, when you hear the word fellowship, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Or what are some of the things that come to mind when you hear the word fellowship? Food. That was the same thing they said the first service. What did you say? Fried chicken. That's a good Baptist fellowship. What else comes to mind? Food, people. What is it? Loud room. Good times, laughter. That's right. That's what we tend to think of when we think of the word fellowship. But the word fellowship in the scriptures has a much deeper, richer meaning. Uh, We've kind of used the phrase to refer to good times that we have together. And that's good. That is certainly an aspect of fellowship. The root word in Greek is koinonia. And that is referring to the, the shared things that we have, the things that we share in Christ. It's a fellowship that we have in Christ, gives us fellowship with one another. It's such a, uh, a deeper concept than friendship that the Bible actually tells believers not to have this type of fellowship with unbelievers. And so obviously we know the scripture tells believers to be friends and love unbelievers. So it's not just talking about the fellowship that we think about. It's really more of a, a oneness, more like you might think of being equally yoked uh, with two oxen have a yoke around their neck. The scripture says do not be married or, or unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Uh, it's closer to that idea of being in bond together with, a sharing together with. And so the scripture says that when you have faith in Christ, you have fellowship with the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, you have fellowship with God Himself. You have a, a koinonia, a union, a partnership, a bond. All these are different phrases and uh, English translations of that word koinonia. In fact, the word in our text today where Paul says, I'm bringing a contribution to Jerusalem, is that word koinonia. It's, I, in fact, he's saying, I'm bringing a specific fellowship to Jerusalem from Uh, these Gentile Christians in this area. And so what he says today is that this fellowship that they are sharing with one another is rooted in their fellowship with Christ. And Paul's been saying that all along, that if you have experienced the fellowship with Christ and received the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, then that spills out of our lives and gives us a fellowship, uh, the word that we get community uh, is, is that same sharing in common together, whether it's a geographic community where we share a geographic region or it's community in the body of Christ that we share uh, the love of Christ together. There's a unity, a union, a fellowship, a partnership, a bond that we all have as fellow participants in the grace and the, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is going to do today is to say that that fellowship that we have with Christ demands two things from us. And they hit us where we don't like to think because there's, it's easy to feel really guilty about these two things. It means that it demand, the gospel demands that we give and the gospel demands that we pray. And that's what Paul is going to say today. He's going to say, listen, in view of God's mercies, Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as living sacrifices... 
wholly acceptable to God. He says, I'm writing this letter to bring about the obedience of faith. You say you have faith. Well, that produces a certain obedience. He says, I'm writing this letter to the church to bring about obedience of faith. And today he says to us, if you say you have fellowship with Christ, then you must give and you must pray. And so it's a very convicting word. I want to throw a caveat out there. If you're a guest with us today, I'm not asking for your money. If you're an unbeliever, in fact, we want to say from this text today, if you're an unbeliever, we want to ask you, how can we serve you? How can we give to you? What needs do you have that we can meet? That's what it means to be in the faith. If you're a Christian, Paul's message for you today is for you. And in particular, if you're a member of this church, that's who I want to hit the hardest because that's what we come together for as believers. We covenant, members of this church covenant and say, hey, listen, I need you to speak the truth in my life from the word of God. And I need brothers and sisters in Christ to hold me to that truth, to encourage me in that truth, to encourage me to walk in obedience. We need each other. And that's what Paul is writing today. We believe that God's word is powerful to equip us to experience the life that God wants us to live. God doesn't need our money. God expects us to give because it's good for us. God expects us to pray because it's good for us and it's part of his great plan for our lives. So let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, we ask for you to help us, to help us uh, bring these things out, not by uh, just us through guilt, but I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God taking the gospel truths and driving it deep into our hearts will produce what we see in the text a... uh, a joyful constraining, a joyful obligation to give and to participate in the mission of God, the gospel ministry through prayer, giving and praying as a part of being called into this union with you and your ministry of the gospel. It's in Christ that we ask you to do this. Amen. All right, so Paul says it obligates us to demands of us. The gospel demands that we give, and it demands that we pray. The first, it demands that we give. We see this in the verses 25 through 29. Paul says, but I am going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. Now, remember, this is kind of surprising because Paul was saying, hey, I have got to preach the gospel where no one's heard the gospel. He says, I've been called by my union with Christ to take the gospel where they've never heard it. I'm not a church pastor more. I'm a planter. I want to preach the gospel where they've never heard. And I appoint elders to pastor those guys. And then I move on to another region. So that was Paul's particular expression of this gospel ministry. And so he says, I've done everything I can here. I'm going to Spain. And I can't come to Rome where I desperately want to see you. I desperately need your encouragement. Man, I want to come to Rome. I've asked God to let me go to Rome. But he says, no, I've got work for you to do in Spain. And so I can't come to Rome as bad as I want to. But I am going to Jerusalem. Like, wait a minute. I thought you were all about going to Spain to take the gospel. We see Paul understands how vitally important, how extremely powerful money is in the mission of God. He says, I've got to go to Jerusalem to serve the saints for what's going on there. In verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. Isn't that funny that he says that twice? 
They were pleased to give to the saints in Jerusalem. That's Jewish believers. He's saying the Gentiles in this area, Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to give their money to the saints, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Yes, I said they're pleased to do so, is the way he writes it. And he says not only that, but they're indebted to them. They're obligated to do so. So they're pleased to do so, but they're obligated. They are indebted to do so. For if, why are they indebted? Well, if the Gentiles shared in their spiritual things, then they are indeed indebted to them to share in the material things as well. And then in verse 28, Therefore, when I have finished this, I put my seal on this fruit. He calls it fruit. So in 26 and 27, Paul twice says that these Gentile believers were pleased to give this money to these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. In verse 27, he says they were pleased, but they were also indebted. This is the idea of a joyful obligation. I think when Paul, uh, we looked at last week, Paul says, I felt constrained to go to Jerusalem. I felt constrained, he says in Acts, I felt constrained in the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And we wondered what constrained Paul to go to Jerusalem, knowing the will of God for his life, the way we talked about it last week. And we said he felt the constraining of the Spirit of God to go to Jerusalem, and it was to minister to the poor in Jerusalem. And so Paul knows that God's will for these believers and for the mission of the gospel was to give joyfully to the people who needed it in Jerusalem. And so he says they were indebted to do it, they were pleased to do it, But notice also in verse 28, he says it's fruit. He says this gift is fruit of the gospel. It's not the root of the gospel. It doesn't make them right with God. But because they have been made right with God in view of the mercies of God, because they have been participants of the joyful, sacrificial, radical generosity of God who lavished His righteousness upon them though they did nothing to deserve it. Because they've experienced that, the fruit it produces in their life is sacrificial, radical, joyful generosity to others. That's what the gospel does in lives. It's called fruit. And as we've already seen, he calls it a contribution. That's that word koinonia, meaning that that is a, he calls it a certain contribution, a certain fellowship. It's a specific expression of the koinonia, the fellowship, the bond, the partnership that they have in Christ that then bonds them together to one another. And it's all this idea of the fellowship of the sufferings of the gospel of Jesus Christ on the mission of God. Last week he said, every one of us is called to this ministry. Not just me, not the one who just stands up here. Every one of you, if you're in Christ, you are called to this ministry. This gospel ministry to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them to obey the word of God. It's very similar to the thing that Paul says he's doing. He's bringing about the obedience of the faith. 
If you're in the faith, there's an obedience that comes from that, a fruit. And Paul says, I am bringing that about by proclaiming the gospel and living out gospel priorities. And last week he said the same thing for us. You are a gospel priest to proclaim the gospel, to live out gospel priorities. And now he's saying that it it demands that we give and that we pray. Paul talks a lot about this contribution that these Gentiles believers made for these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. In 2 Corinthians 9, he speaks about it again. It was a big deal. In fact, he talks about it as proof of their faith. Listen carefully. He says their giving was evidence of the authenticity that they really are in the faith. That's hard to hear. He says, listen... They gave, and it proved their faith in Christ was genuine. What you do with your money is evidence of what God has done with your heart. We know it's true. Follow the money, and that's where your heart is. All of us. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, speaking about this contribution, very insightful passage listen to this he says you will be enriched in everything for all liberality god will give to you so that you can give to others which through us is producing thanksgiving to god the giving that they are doing to this poor in jerusalem is producing thanksgiving to god verse 13 because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. So he says to them, when believers open up their wallet and give to other people, people who might even be considered their enemies. You're talking about Gentile believers given to Jewish believers, and there's a lot of strife going on. Paul says, the reason this is so powerful is because nobody does this. This is not what people do. We keep our money for ourselves in our own flesh. It just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we work hard to make money, to build a house, to build a future, to build a family, to build a retirement, and to to build comfort and ease into our lives. And then Christ comes in and changes things so that people are given away. And Paul says, it's evidence, it's proof that God's done something in your life. This is not natural. This is supernatural. And he says, when you do this, Paul stopped and made this detour to collect the money and take it to the Jews, uh, to the poor in Jerusalem, instead of going directly to Spain where he knew he was supposed to go for the mission of God. He says, this is a very important part of the mission of God because when I do this, this reveals the power of the gospel. It's powerful enough to hit your pocketbook. That's powerful. Ain't much that can do that. And he says, that's why I'm doing this. This is a powerful aspect of God. He says, yeah, it's meeting needs, and that's important. Very, very, very important. 
But it's doing more than that. It's producing a thanksgiving to God for what? Because it's proving that these Gentiles are being transformed by this gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's evidence to the truthfulness of the claims that the gospel is for Jew and Gentile. That's why this offering was so important to Paul because it was Gentiles given to Jews. And he's like, if the Jews receive it, they're receiving the Gentiles. And if the Gentiles give it, they're receiving the Jews. This is massively important. And it's, it's displaying the glory of God, the transformation of hearts, the union of all different races, ethnicities, cultural differences, economic differences, racial differences, faith backgrounds. All of that is being changed. And they're being brought into a loving unity that goes as deep as the wallet. He says, now that is impressive. Has the gospel hit your spending habits yet? He says, it demands this. It's evidence that you are truly impacted by the gospel. If you claim, he says, to have participated in the spiritual blessings then you are indebted to share your financial blessings. What did you say last week? That's as strong as horseradish or something. This is hard stuff. So if we have shared in the spiritual blessings, then we are indebted to minister to others with material things. So let me get real personal. Let's do some math. Again, caveat. If you're a guest, we love you. This is not for you. You can go to sleep for a minute and I'll wake you up. If you're a member of this church and you have covenanted and said, I would like to lock arms with these brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to obey the scriptures. I know it's God's good will for my life. And I want you to speak truth to me from the word of God and hold me accountable to that and encourage me. Then you said, and I will support the ministries of this church and I will give to the poor. I will do what the scripture says in these areas in particular. Let me ask you this. How much did you give last year? Not how much did you want to give? Not how much did you hope to give? Not how much did you plan to give? Not how much did you wish you had given? But how much did you actually give? When you got the contribution statements and you started looking at your taxes and you're like, oh, I thought I was going to do so much more than that. Just speaking hypothetically, not that I've ever experienced that. Okay, now take that. Let's, if I haven't offended you yet, let's just keep going deeper. Take that and subtract what you think the cost of the donuts that you eat are and what you think the cost of the coffee you consume is. Because that's, that's really like just saving you a trip to the coffee shop and the donut shop. So, so I gave this, take out what I consumed, and then take out what you got reimbursed for childcare. For things that we reimburse you to go to child, get childcare to go to community group for. All right, so what you gave minus coffee, minus donuts, minus childcare reimbursements equals a number. And that's how much you're saying the gospel has impacted your life. 
Divide that by your income last year. And let me throw another caveat. I don't look at the giving records. I don't know who gave what. But let's just say that after that, $1,000 was given and you made 60. That's 1.6%, I believe, if my math is right. Is that an accurate reflection of the gospel of grace in your life? Happy Father's Day. More than 1.5, more than 1.5 billion people with a B around the world live on less than $1 a day. More than 1 billion people do not have access to clean water. Every year, 6 million children die from malnutrition before their fifth birthday. I'll stop there. We need to repent. And we need to obey. The gospel demands radical, joyful, to the extent that we are joyful about the radical generosity of the grace of God in our life, that should feed and motivate the joyful generosity. I don't want to beat you over the head and you walk out of guilt-ridden. It should be a joyful constraining that the Spirit of God produces in our hearts. And how does he bring that about? Through the ministry of prayer and the Word of God. The gospel demands that we give money in support of the missional work of God. Second, we see that the gospel demands that we pray. He says in verse 30 through 33, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ... Oh, wait, someone wake up the guest. I forgot. We're on this point too. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that, I may, and that my service for Jerusalem may, be prove, may prove acceptable to the saints and so that I may come to you by the will of God and find refreshing in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. In these verses, Paul urges. That word urges is a passionate plea. He is urging them, please help me. What is the grounds of his appeal? How dare him ask for this help? He says, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. That's koinonia. If you are in the love of the Spirit and in Christ, then he says, this is the grounds on which I am pleading, I'm urging, I'm passionately requesting, and no, I am begging you, help me, labor. He says, strive together with me. And at that moment, the listeners are going, oh gosh, is he about to ask me to go to Spain with him? Is he about to ask me to go to South Sudan? Please don't ask me to go to South Sudan. Please don't ask me to do that. Anything but that. 
And so he's saying, help me. Strive with me. Labor with me. That striving is an exertion of enormous energy as one engaged in conflict, like a military conflict, like an athletic competition. Paul uses this word to describe believers who are struggling and laboring in ministry. He instructs Paul he's, uh, to Timothy. He says, discipline yourself. He says, labor and strive in ministry, ministry with your hope fixed on God. He says, fight the good fight. That's the same laboring and striving. He, at the end of his ministry, he says, I have fought the good fight. Epaphras, and, and he says in Colossians 4.12, Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Christ, he sends his greetings to you, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, so that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Paul is passionately pleading based on our common faith, our common confession that we say we are in Christ. And he says, well, if you're in Christ, help me with this gospel mission. Well, what do you want us to do, Paul? He says, pray. Pray. It's that important. Really? Prayer? Does it really work? Paul says, I need you desperately. I cannot do this alone. I need you striving alongside me. I need you as my partners in prayer. I need you to pray. Charles Spurgeon, one of the famous pastors, famous for his prayer ministry in the boiler room where hundreds of members prayed under the basement of his chapel as he preached the word of God. He said, that's the success of my ministry. One time he was out of the pulpit for over 12 weeks because he was totally down, bed stricken, bedridden because of his ailment and he's not getting better. He's not getting better. And he writes to his church and he chastises them. You're not praying for me because I'm not getting better. That man believed that God works through prayer. And so the church kind of shaken gathers together in the body and they pray and he gets better and he gets in the pulpit. Quickly. Paul says, I need your help. I'm imprisoned. I'm beaten. I'm starving. I'm hanging on by a thread. And I need you to help me. What can we do, Paul? Pray for me. This is a man who believes prayer. God answers prayer. He asks for three things. He says, Pray for me, first of all. Pray for my personal safety. He's going down to Judea. And he says, the unbelievers there, deliver me from the unbelievers. He knows this is dangerous. And so he's begging them. Pray that God does something because I'm heading right into the heart of where they hate me. Did God answer that prayer? Acts 21, we see when Paul arrived in Jerusalem... The unbelieving Jews started a riot. They were beating Paul and they were just about to kill Paul when the Roman soldiers arrested him and took him to the barracks, saving his life. God did that. God answered that prayer. Later in Acts 23, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Hey, take courage. You're going to go testify about Jesus in Rome. And then there was a riot that was taking place. While Paul was in Rome, there was a 
there was a, an ambush being planned, and they were like, let's get, the, let's get the rulers to get Paul transported out to here, and they'll think it's this, but we're going to, you guys ambush them and kill them. As the Lord would have it, in answer to this prayer, Paul's sister's son was there and heard about this ambush plot attempt. And he tells the rulers, and they protect Paul's life. God answers prayer. Paul's second request was for ministry success. He said, pray for my personal safety And now pray for ministry success. Paul asked him, he says, pray the Jews will accept this offering. This is massively important. He says, listen, if they accept this offering, this is huge. This means the Jewish believers are receiving the Gentile believers. This is what the gospel is all about. This was a massive turning point in the history of the church. And Paul's like, man, y'all got to pray that these, that these Jewish Christians receive this offering. In Acts 21, we see the answer to that prayer. Luke records about their arrival. He says, after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And after he greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles. He's talking to the Jewish leaders of the Jewish church. And he's telling them what God is doing out there among the Gentiles. And he said, now, please pray that when I tell them these things, that they will receive my message and this gift. It says that after... He had greeted them. He began relating one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. God answered their prayer. He prayed for personal safety. He prayed for ministry success. He prayed for his own encouragement, his own rest. Oh, he says, oh, I pray I can go. You guys pray for me. Pray that I'm safe in Judea. Pray that, I, that they accept the ministry there, the, the gift. And pray that I can get to Rome and just rest and be encouraged by you guys. In Acts, again, we read Paul eventually ended up in Rome. He was in prison. But he got to Rome. And there they ministered to him for years. He was protected and cared for in Rome where he was able to proclaim the gospel. For years, God answered their prayers. So what we see from Paul the last couple of weeks is that every one of us is called to the same overarching ministry, the ministry of the gospel. I'm no different than y'all. I was in the business world for many years. Many of you I worked with. And then it changed. The context changed to do this instead of what I was doing. But there I was called to be a minister of the gospel. And here I'm called to be a minister of the gospel. He calls all of us to be ministers of the gospel. Moms, dads, whatever profession you're in. You are making disciples of all nations. And we're all called to three things. To go and to give and to pray. He says, this is is how you make disciples. And some of us go in a more full-time capacity, but all of us go. Some of us are called to say, your primary job is to make money to give to support the gospel work. 
all of us are called to give. Every one of us is called to give and every one of us is called to pray because God does it through prayer. Do you see your, your fellowship with Christ demands you to get serious about the gospel mission. You're not here just to make money and have an easy life as, as much as you can afford and to do church. We're called to something much more profound, much more fulfilling, much more life-giving, much more exciting, much more radical, much more rewarding. When the Spirit of God is alive in you and you have to depend on God because you're giving and you're praying and you're going, it's a good life to the glory of God. I asked Jennifer Googe, I asked Luke Pearson, and I asked Mark Pearson to, to come and pray at the end of the service and to pray what Paul asked for, but to pray for the South Sudan mission, the Nola Baptist mission, and the Guatemala mission. Y'all come on up. The Guatemala mission, which, is, which they are there right now. We sent them all on planes yesterday. They're in Guatemala doing mission work right now. And uh, we, I asked these three to pray for them the type of request that we see uh, Paul asking to pray for personal safety, for ministry success, and the last one, personal safety, ministry success, and encouragement and rest for them. After that, I'll come up and pray, and then we'll continue to worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that message we just heard about going and about praying and about giving. And Almighty God, we're just so grateful that Tracy can uh, just give messages of just such truth to each one of us. And Lord, as we just think about the um, the Lewis family that is so far away and have uh, just sacrificed everything to um, to give back to you and to the Taposa and the Karkamugi uh, people, uh, people groups, we just want to lift up them to you this morning. And ask for you to just give them protection and guidance and wisdom and protection. And ask you to give favor upon them and their family as they're so far away from us. And for all of us who have had the opportunity to go over there and to be with them and work alongside them, I just ask for them to pray as as well as the church family that hopefully knows them, that we can just pray for for their, uh, their ministry and for their protection right now. And um, we just thank you so much for them and just for all that they're doing. And, Lord, I just pray uh, the reason why they're over there is to bring, uh, bring that, um, those folks um, to a deep understanding of who you are. And I look forward to hearing um, wonderful stories about the people groups that are coming to know you um, through their ministry. And a wonderful verse that I just that I look forward to is now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we might ask or think according to the power that works within us. And, Lord, as we think about that promise, Lord, I know that you will fulfill that promise uh, through them as they're so far away from us. And then as we live in a world that is full of just so many um, uncertainty, Father, I just pray for just um, for just you to just uh, provide just grace among them as they're as they're doing their work for you. In Jesus' name, thank you. Let's continue in prayer. Father God, 
We come to you this morning to lift up Kyle and Susie. Lord, you call them to New Orleans to plant a church and to reach a people, Lord, when not many people have the courage or the patience to do ministry. Lord, in the midst of Kyle and Susie reaching out to the people of New Orleans, Lord, we pray that you would guard their marriage and their family. We pray that you would protect them from any person, Lord, or anything who would want to do harm to their ministry or hinder their ministry. Father, we ask that you would draw the lost, the hurting, the confused, the deceived, Lord, the proud, all of those to the NOLA church, Lord, that you've established through Kyle and Susie. Lord, may the love and truth of the gospel penetrate that darkness and hopelessness. Lord, Kyle and Susie have even shared with this church body the difficulty of reaching the people in New Orleans. Lord, you've demonstrated in your word that for even a few souls, or even one soul, Lord, that great sacrifice is worth it. And I thank you, Lord, that like you, Kyle and Susie, and the NOLA Church, Lord, see the value of uh, one person and one soul. And finally, Lord, in, in the midst of ministry and life, I pray that Kyle and Susie would not grow weary and lose heart, Lord, but that they would keep their eyes, their hearts, and their minds fixed on you, Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray that they will have their times of refreshing in you, Lord, and that their sustenance will come from you, from the church family, and from the joy and the hope of the gospel message. And we ask all this in the matchless name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for your gospel. Thank you that it has the power to transform our hearts and in turn affect our lives and our actions. Thank you for the mission team now in Guatemala. Thank you that they were willing to go to answer your call and to serve by serving the people of Guatemala. Lord, we pray for the protection for the people on the trip, but also for their families left back home. We pray they would dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We pray they would find refuge under your wings and your faithfulness would be their shield. We pray in peace they will both lie down and sleep and you alone, O Lord, would make them dwell in safety. Lord, we pray their ministry would be fruitful. We pray they would receive power through the Holy Spirit and they would be your witnesses to all they encounter. We pray the words of their mouths and the meditations of their hearts would be acceptable to you, and when they open their mouths, they would make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which they are ambassadors. We pray that your word going forth from their mouths would not return empty, but would accomplish your work by bringing unbelievers to salvation. And finally, Lord, we pray for encouragement for them. We pray, um, as Paul did in Ephesians 3, that you would grant them according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with power through your spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith and that they, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Amen. And Lord, I pray, I pray that we would be a church that is so full of the gospel, that is so aware of how richly blessed we are in Christ, that that our giving and our praying and our going is motivated by a joyful constraining that the Lord, that you produce in our hearts, Lord. I pray that the giving uh, is sacrificial, 
generous and joyful. I pray that that when we hear of needs in our community of, of Norris Ferry and Shreveport and beyond, that we are excited to be able to be ministers of yours, to be your hands and feet to others who are in need, that, that when people in our own community groups or church, uh, we learn of their need, that we're excited to, to be a part of meeting needs and that, uh, that we're willing to sacrifice vacation time and money to go on far trips, far on the other side of the globe, to South Sudan, Africa, to, to be witnesses to the gospel that we would support people from our own church who've been called out to do mission work, that we would give to the budget of this church that is, that is providing the gospel week in and week out, that is sending church planters and training them and sending them out, that is uh, providing for benevolence care for people who have financial need, that is, that is actively participating in the spread of the gospel. And, and Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, make us a people who understands that prayer really has an impact, that you respond graciously to the prayers of your people and that we would uh, be called out, that we would unite ourselves in the, the fellowship of your sufferings, the fellowship of the gospel mission, that we would pray in all kinds of places, that our community groups would be saturated with prayer, that our services would be prayerful, that our people would gather for coffee and pray, that, that they would gather before the services and pray, that, they would, that we would be a praying people because we've seen what your word says and we've been moved by the Spirit of God to do this, Lord. Not that we're guilt-ridden or beat over the head to do it, but because you've done a great work in our heart that you make us a people who understand that you've called us to make disciples and that we are to go and we are to give and we are to pray and we are to give our lives to this calling and that all of us are called to this calling if we are fellowship, fellowshipping in the, the spirit of God and in participating in the blood and saving grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, do this in our hearts as you can only do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.